everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning. Welcome to Discovery Church. Whether you're with us in person or online, we're so excited you're here today. My name is Jacob, and I'm one of the pastors here. And listen, before you leave today, um, if you don't know who I am or I don't know you, I'll be upfront and I would love to meet you. I think that there are a lot of things the church does well, and today we're going to talk about this concept of community quite a bit. And the best way to dive into community, if you don't know, is just to take that step. Uh, So I would love to meet you. Uh, You don't have to be afraid of the pastor. I won't ask you about any hidden sins in your life or what you've done wrong. I'll, I'll just say hello and try to leave it casual. Um, If you are online with us today, I would love to meet you as well. You can email communications at dc2.me, and I'll respond to every email personally, because whether you're in person or online, we'd love for you to be a part of our community. We are coming into the last week of our Minding the Gap series, and for me at least, this series has been exactly what I've been looking for. Uh, Over the last couple of months, we've wrestled with the idea that many of our issues in theology or these challenges in our faith come from this gap between what we believe or know about God and what we experience in our everyday lives. An easy example of this is when you believe that God is present, you believe that God is with you, you believe that God walks with you, but you occasionally feel that distance between you and God, and you're not sure what to do about it. The gap. Or when you look at other people's faith, people you've known for a long time, you look at their faith, you look at their relationship with God, and you think, what do they have that I'm missing? Uh, Because by this point in my Christian walk, I feel like I should be further along right now than I am, uh, and sometimes it feels like I'm the only one. The gap. Or when you believe that God is real, you believe that God loves you, but you're plagued with doubts about your faith your church, you wrestle with guilt as some of the pillars you've built your faith upon, built your life upon, are slowly starting to erode and chip away, and you're not sure what to do with that, and the thought of that terrifies you and gives you a pit in your stomach. What do you do? The gap. Today, as we finish off this series, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite topics. In fact, when I saw the sermon calendar put out, I specifically requested to teach this one, Uh, Because this is my last 10 years of my Christian journey, and I have a feeling it's many of yours as well. Today we're going to be talking about doubt, deconstruction, and reconstruction. Um, In other words, what do you do if you're struggling with belief? What do you do if those pillars of faith you've built your life upon are starting to erode? And how do you build it back? So as we dive into this, I want to do just a quick explanation of what these mean. So doubt, very simply, is when you have an intellectual or emotional kind of disconnect with God. Intellectual disconnect, pretty simple, right? It can be things like, hey, when I look up all the genealogies of the Bible, when I add up all the years, those places in the Bible that many of us skip, when I add up all the numbers— it puts Adam and Eve somewhere around like 4,500 B.C. And 
I'm pretty sure the world's been around longer than that, or, or maybe it hasn't, but the Bible doesn't seem to speak clearly about that, and now I'm confused. Uh, these intellectual disconnects. Or I see fossils, I hear about dinosaurs, I don't see dinosaurs anywhere in the Bible unless somebody tells you to look in Job. Like, they're not there. So what's the deal? How does this work? It's intellectual disconnect. Or an emotional disconnect. Like, all right, God is all loving. The Bible says that. That's great. Bible's all knowing. Our God is all knowing. Bible says that's great. And God is all powerful. Bible says that, okay, how can God be all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving, and bad things are still happening? Um, by the way, if you've been asking that question, that's like a 2,000-year-old question that people have been wrestling with for a long time. Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when I struggle? The emotional disconnect, the emotional doubt, many of the things we've talked about in the Gap series. And then we have deconstruction. Uh, deconstruction, there's kind of two ways we'll talk about it today. The first, um, and it's pretty popular today, you'll see it all over, is when people look at things the church does, the church as a giant entity, and says, I don't know if I can be a part of that. You see crimes against children, which are irreprehensible, and you say, the fact that it's happened in the church, I can't be a part of that. You see that the Bible talks about loving the, the immigrant and the widow, and you say, I don't know how well the church is doing with that. I don't know if I can be a part of that. And it's these questions about how does this line up with who this Jesus guy said? How does it line up with what Jesus created the church to be? Or the other way to look at deconstruction is we take a look at our faith. We take a look at this faith that you've built up over the years. You take a look at this this pillar you've built that you set your faith upon and you say, man, some of the questions that I'm asking and some of the things that I'm wondering, they're starting to pull little chunks out of that. And now that I've pulled the chunks out, now that I've asked the questions, I actually don't know how to put it back together again. Because when I was young in my faith, whether that's as a child or whether you accepted Christ later in life, um, you hear things like that person is on fire for God or that person feels like they can do anything with God and that foundation was so great. I, I don't know how to take where I am now and get back to there. So today we're going to talk about reconstruction. If you've ever been in a place of doubt, if you've ever been in a place of kind of taking your faith apart, how do you put it back together in a way that, in my opinion, will be so much stronger than it ever was. Uh, the end result of this process is so beautiful uh, if you're willing to go through it. I spoke this week with somebody uh, who's been a Christian most of their life, and I was talking about the topic I was on, and she said, wow, that's so great. I need some answers. Because I'm currently going through this journey where I'm starting to ask questions that honestly scare me, and I'm not sure what to do with them. So listen, you're a pastor. Can you give me the checklist? Like, how do I do this right? Because I'm terrified I'm going to do this wrong and end up in a place that I'm not comfortable with. Um, 
And so I gave her a checklist that you can download off our website. That's not true at all. There's no checklist for this, which is terrifying. <laughs> like there's actually not necessarily a right way to do this. There's not a speedy way to do this. And we'll talk a little bit about like stages and phases. There's not an easy way to know when it's time to move forward. Um, sometimes you're stuck in this place for a long time. She didn't like my answer, and we ended that conversation right after that. Um, but I believe she'll be here today, so she'll hear more. Today we're going to talk about healthy deconstruction. Uh, and to play my hand, uh, healthy deconstruction is done in community. Uh, and healthy deconstruction, healthy doubt, healthy reconstruction is done talking to people and asking questions and assuming that no topic is off limits and finding people who are further along in their journey, not as far along, and just saying, hey, what do you think? Can we talk about this? What do I do? I think unhealthy deconstruction is either done on your own or with a group of people who think exactly the same way as you so that you already know the answer before you even start. Anyone excited? Anyone a little terrified to talk about this? It's awesome. This would be great. Um, so my introduction to this topic uh, started about 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, I was newly on staff here at Discovery, and I got the opportunity to attend a conference with our former youth pastor, a guy named Eric Lindine. We went to San Diego, and we heard some amazing speakers. There were hundreds of different workshops to attend, and I heard speakers talk on everything from how to run a small group, how to preach a sermon, how to manage a budget, how to connect with the new generation, uh, you know, how to connect with elders, how to connect with students, how to build a long-term culture in your church, how to be spiritually healthy. And every single workshop I went to, every keynote I heard gave me actionable items. I had like a notebook filled with everything we were going to do at Discovery when I got home. It was amazing. Well, every speaker but one we get to this keynote, and a guy gets up on stage. His name is Kurt Johnston. He's a youth pastor at Saddleback Church. We're in a room of about 10,000 pastors, uh, and it's high energy, and the speaker's talking. There are people speaking. People are walking in and out. It's high energy. Kurt Johnston gets on stage, and he says in his opening lines, when your students go off to college, statistically, they will experience a crisis of faith. And statistically, the majority of them will take that crisis of faith and walk away from what they believe. This may be for a short time. It may be for a long time. But statistically, it's going to happen. And we as pastors should do something about it because many of us are at least partially to blame. This conference that had been high energy, people walking in and out, went completely silent. Everyone froze. Nobody spoke. The air felt like it had been sucked out of the room. And Kurt went on to talk about crises of faith and what happens when we as a church have off-limit topics or create perfectly fun or safe environments that don't match up with the real world. He talked about what it's like to ask a question of faith, a, a deep theological question, a deep question that you just can't move forward without the answer. And the person on stage, the person in charge, the pastor, the spiritual leader, comes up to you and metaphorically or literally pats you on the head and says, good Christians don't talk about those things. Let's just pray about it. Let's just move on. Afterward, 
I attended a breakout session with Kurt where he went further into depth about this. He even proposed this arguably blasphemous idea that doubt and crises of faith are a good thing and that we should actually be encouraging them in our students. Suffice to say, I went home confused with this whole book of actionable items and this one talk that I could not wrap my head around because it was so different from anything I'd ever heard. Six months later, I'm working here at the church, hanging out with students, building a student leadership team, and I had a student who was a leader in our group. Um, He was the kind of person who shows up to every event. He's at the church when it opens. He leaves the church when it's closed. Uh, His parents love how much he's involved, but they're also struggling because they're having to drive him to the church like six days a week. He asked questions. He led small groups. He did it all. One day as a freshman in high school, he came to me and he said, Jake, I don't think I buy into all this anymore. I think I'm done with the God thing. It doesn't fit for me. It was like a punch in the gut for me. I felt like I'd failed, and I felt like the student had just signed his death sentence. I mean, if Jesus is the way to eternal life, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through him, and this student is walking away from that, what have I done? And so I sat there as calmly as I could while he talked about his questions and his doubts and the irreconcilable differences in his mind between the Bible and what he experienced. And the entire time I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean you don't believe? Don't you know how much God loves you? Don't you know how much he cares? Don't you believe the things you've been taught? If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the pathway to heaven, where does that leave you? As my mind was spinning, he said, listen, I'm not done coming. I still like it here. I just don't believe anymore. Later that night, I I fielded a call from his parents that I knew were coming, and I didn't know how to respond. And his mother called me, and she said, you know, my son has walked away from his faith, and that's a big deal for us. We don't know what to do. What do we do? And in a near panic, with no idea how to respond, I said, what if this is a good thing? He's surrounded by great people. Why don't we follow him, do life with him, and see what happens? Let's walk through this with him. Um, Looking back now, I actually think that that was the right response, but in the moment, it was completely riffing. I was just guessing based on this guy, Kurt, who seemed like he knew what he was doing. This is 2013. Those conversations with that student, coupled with Kurt's talk and my own journey of deconstructing my faith over the years, has me in a very different spot than I was 10 years ago. By this point, I've put hundreds of hours into reading, studying, and talking with anyone I can about the process of doubt and deconstruction. I've looked into some great authors, a few of whom I'll throw up at the end of the sermon if you want to check them out. And in the end, I came to what I believe is the right way to start the conversation about doubt, deconstruction, and reconstruction. And here it goes. If you ever struggle with doubt, if you're in the process of deconstructing your faith or the religious institution you're a part of, and you're in the process of wondering what reconstructing your faith even looks like, then I need to tell you, you have the potential to be in such a healthy place. And that is really normal. Uh, And if done well, the end result is so beautiful. Beautiful. 
See, I don't believe that doubt and faith are different sides of a coin. I don't believe you have some people who just believe it all, and they just know it's right, and they never have questions, and they never have concerns, they never have doubts. And I don't believe on the other side that you have people who are always just looking to poke holes and find the issue. I believe all of us, whether you're in this room and you believe in God or not, that we're all seeking God, that we all have questions. And I believe even if you don't know what to believe, if you don't know where to go, you can find what you're looking for in a relationship with God. I think doubt is great for our faith. And if you've ever questioned God, struggled with God, had a list of intellectual doubts, not believed in God, tested God, turned your eyes away from God, missed the mark, wondered where God was, wondered what God was doing, questioned your calling, questioned God's goodness, then you're in luck. I'm going to put up on the screen a non-exhaustive list of people in the Bible who fall into one of these categories as well. I call this my non-exhaustive list because this took me four minutes to put together. In fact, I think that you, actually, I don't think I know that you can find far more people in the Bible who questioned God, struggled with God, doubted God, than you can find people who just faithfully woke up one day and said, hey, I'm all in. No matter what happens, there will never be anything to deter me. You will find far more people like this you'll find far more people like us. And I want to take this a step further to kind of prove the point. I want to share a few stories about people in the Bible who show off their doubt and questioning. And to make this easier, I want to share stories of people who probably should have zero doubt. Oftentimes when I look at the Bible and I look at these people of faith, one of the biggest differences between them and I is that they often had God either directly in front of them, whether that's physically or vocally. They often had direct interaction, and these people still had questions, still had doubts. Here's the first one. I'll throw up on the screen. Uh, it's a guy named Peter. You'll find this in Matthew 14, 22 through 33. By this point... Peter is one of these 12 disciples. We've seen Jesus do miracles. We've seen Jesus do amazing things. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Let's repeat that sentence again because that's such an incredible moment. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. 
If Peter could ever pull that off later in life, that's an amazing party trick. Like walking on water, just ridiculous. He actually sees Jesus. He walks towards him. His feet are upon the water. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Pretty simple. If you have ever had questions about faith, if you have ever doubted God, if you've ever wondered what God was doing, so did the guy who was walking toward a physical God. So did the guy who was called out vocally to move toward him. So was the guy who was in the midst of a miracle and saw the effect of the wind upon the water, and he fell. Second story we'll point out is a guy named Gideon. Uh, Gideon's a great one that I think many of us will resonate with as well. Gideon is called by God to do some amazing things. We'll pick up in Judges 6, 36 through 40. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know you will save Israel by my hand as you said. God, if you will perform a miracle, I'm in. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Can you do it again? Don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me once more to test the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. This time make everything else around it wet, but leave the fleece dry. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Hey God, I believe you're good. I believe you're powerful. I believe you're doing something but I I really need to test that. I I really need to know what to do with it. The final one we'll look at, who is my favorite, because in a lot of ways I think he's me. Uh, In a lot of ways I think he's a lot of us. It's a guy named Thomas. Thomas, just like Peter, walked with Jesus. Uh, By this point, he'd walked with Jesus for three years had seen Jesus perform somewhere in the area of you know, 25 to 30 miracles, had seen remarkable things. Jesus, by this point, has died. He has risen from the dead. People have seen him, and they're talking about it. And this guy, Thomas, hasn't seen him yet, and he doesn't believe. Pick up in John. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hands in his side where he was pierced, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. That's weird. Thomas doesn't believe anymore. Like, Thomas doesn't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. Like, why is he still hanging out with all of these people a week later? A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus, until I know for certain, I don't know if I can believe. Why was Thomas still there? I I asked this question as I'm prepping my sermon this week, and I think, all right, so he spent three years following a guy, and now he has all these questions, and things don't seem to fit, and everyone else seems so sure of their beliefs, and he's kind of on the outside. Everyone's getting together, and they're having their prayer circle, and they're worshiping God, and they're excited, and they know what they're doing, and their faith is real, and they're excited, and Thomas just doesn't know if he believes. But he was still there. He was still in community. Still figuring it out with his people. We've identified people who experience doubt. I've made the case that doubt is normal and healthy. Now what do we do with it? Luckily, I think there is a beautiful path to full and deepening faith in which your doubts and your questions lead to a a powerful relationship with God. Um, Possibly unluckily, it's messy, it's uncomfortable, and there's not a checklist. Doubt and deconstruction can lead to an incredibly deep faith because I believe that when we have areas in our life that are off limits, that we don't talk about, that we're not willing to go to, that just creates unhealth. And I think our faith should be an area that we are most open to unpacking and seeing how deep we can take it. Last week, Steve brought up a quote by a guy named Brian McLaren. We'll throw up on the screen. Uh, And Brian has some amazing things. It's powerful. He talks about the four stages of faith. Simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. Uh, And just thinking about it, I'm sure people in the room can look and say, I think I'm in one of these areas. I want to go a little in depth into what he means with these, and we'll start with the first one, simplicity. God is the ultimate authority figure or friend. Uh, Most everything is knowable, and there are easy questions, are easy answers to questions, and I know how to find them. I have people I can go to, When I ask questions, I feel like it's simple, and when other people try to make it too complicated, I don't understand the point. This is what it is. Um, Simplicity feels like almost insulting, but it's not. Uh, This, again, is when you hear about these people who become Christians, and they are on fire for God. They are so excited. They are ready to go. Uh, These are the people, uh, I told a story one point about uh, a youth pastor I met a young guy in his early 20s, and he came to me, and we had never met before. We sit down for coffee, and he opens with, hey, Jake, I've heard a lot about discovery. I wrote a list of all the things I think you guys can do better in your church, and I think if you follow this, your church will be a better place. This was before, like, the introduction of, hi, my name is blank, which I won't tell you his name. I came out of this meeting just livid, just, like, shaking angry. And I come back, and I talk to uh, one of our associate pastors, a guy named Randy, and I'm just ranting about this kid. And Randy listens quietly, and then he says, Hey, Jake, 
that kid thinks that he can like take over the world with Jesus at his side. I'm like, I know it's so irritating. He's like, he believes that God is like walking with him into that meeting. I was like, yeah. He goes, do you believe that? And I was like, of course I believe that. Come on, that's, of course I do. He said, no, but do you believe that? I said, yeah, but there's a lot more than just that. Like there are all these other logistics to figure out. There's a lot more than just that piece. And, and Randy said, hey, why don't you take some time to think about that? And I didn't because that kid was wrong. Um, no, I did, and it took me a few years before I could go to meetings with him. But there's something pretty powerful about just this, this passion. I think of it in terms of a puzzle. Simplicity is kind of like when you get a puzzle, 100-piece, 1,000-piece, it doesn't matter, and it comes out of the box, and you look at the picture, and you make the puzzle, And you're like, oh, this just kind of works. I do the edges first, fill in the middle. I kind of like how it looks. The next thing Brian talks about is complexity. Uh, This is a place where uh, there's many ways to the goal. Um, Anything is doable, and and if I don't know how to do it, I have other people who can help me. Uh, When I started in faith, there was this one pillar. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I accept him. He loves me. I I go to heaven. And now as I get to complexity, there's these other pieces. That is still central, but now I'm wondering about, like, what is the church's role in evangelism? What is the church's role in missions? What is the church's role with money? What is the church's role with community? What is the church's role with the widow? And it's all these other pieces I'm juggling, but they still fit. Think of this like a puzzle, and it's like getting a puzzle that's like one of those like circle ones that I'm pretty sure this is an edge, but I'm not positive it's an edge. But when I finish it up, it, it looks beautiful. Um, complexity. It all still fits together, and my faith has grown to a point where there's just more to juggle, more to think about. The third one Brian talks about um, is the terrifying one. Um, It's the one where people get stuck. It's the one where if you're in this place, you have a good chance to feel so uncomfortable just with the fact that I'm defining it. Uh, And you feel so uncomfortable with it because you've been stuck here for a while and you've heard a lot of phrases, you've heard a lot of platitudes, and you're still stuck. This is perplexity. I'm hearing a lot of opinions out there, but how do I know what's right? How do I know the person in charge is the person who should be speaking to me about this? I can point out hundreds of ways that the church as an institution has messed up. Um, And you're probably right. What do I do? What makes this one worse, if we think of it like a puzzle, is my puzzle has all these oddly shaped pieces and there's no edges. And even when I try to finish it, my puzzle looks different than that guy's over there. And so I start over and I finish it and now it looks different and it still doesn't look okay. And now I'm wondering if a puzzle is even the right way to do this. And those pillars I built my faith upon, was I just a kid? Was I just ignorant? Did I just not care? Did I just not think deeply? In fact, why am I even looking at the puzzle? Perplexity is terrifying because everything you've built You just wonder where the value is. 
Brian talks about these three stages in specific, and he talks about how each of these phases, uh, they can be short, they can be long, but again, back to the idea of a checklist, um, sometimes, and this is going to sound like really new agey, but sometimes it's more about the journey than where you are in the process. Sometimes that time that you sit in perplexity for 10 years maybe is so powerful to continue to grow and build that faith. Sometimes that time you sit are the times that God is showing you so much more. Brian talks about the last stage, which is harmony. Seek first God's kingdom, love your neighbors. In essentials, unity. We focus on the essentials. Some things are known quite a bit as a mystery, and I'm okay with that. There are things that I may not get the answer to, and that's okay. I think if we keep using the puzzle analogy, this is when you take your perplexing puzzle that doesn't look like anybody else's, you're not sure if you did it right. You're not sure if the, the company even sent you all the right pieces. But you're kind of okay with it because you know the God that loves you. And you know the answers that are important to you. And you're not focused on the ones that aren't. Listening to a speech that Brian gave and somebody asked, great, so if I get to harmony, am I done? Like, that's when, like, I graduate. Like, that's when the doubts and the deconstruction and the reconstruction's over. He said, no, actually, that's often when it starts over again. Harmony becomes your new simplicity, which leads to new complexity, which leads to new perplexity, which leads to new harmony. And as this happens, your faith just builds. Your relationship with God looks different. And at one point, how terrified you were that it looked different, now you are so excited because of this new depth, this new relationship you have. And those pillars you built your life upon, they're a little chipped now. And they're a little messed up. And they're a little marked up, a little dirty. But wow, you are so excited for what they look like now. And I don't want to downplay anybody who's in a place of complexity, perplexity. Um, I think I'll tell you, if you were to come to me and say, hey, I am in a place where I'm stuck, and the words you're saying, they may sound right, but it also kind of feels like you're being dismissive, I'll tell you, yeah, I get that. Uh, Because going through a place of perplexity and questioning while also being a pastor at times is brutal. And getting up and teaching occasionally what I used to believe was true and know was true and know that God said, but not knowing how to rationalize it with what was going on with me, that's rough. So I get it. I'm going to call the band up and close out. Um, I'm going to throw on the screen a few resources. Uh, These are just some books that you can check out if you're interested Uh, The first one I'll put up here is Philip Yancey because I have a theological crush on Philip Yancey. And if you've ever wanted to know what to read, I'm just going to tell you to read any of his books because they're phenomenal. Um, Yancey specifically has this ability to um, start a conversation, especially about doubt, and then get to about the three-quarters mark and get ready to wrap a bow on it. And then he just moves on to the rest of the story. 
and you're really, really uncomfortable because he never closed it out. And then you realize that's actually how life works. Not everything has a bow. Uh, the bottom one here is by Brian McLaren. This is where this simplicity to harmony concept comes from. And then C.S. Lewis in the middle, wonderful. I, this didn't make the cut into the sermon, but if you've ever been in a place, this gap of questioning between what you believe is true and what you experience, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain where he talks about his theological view on pain. He says things like pain is God's megaphone to an unhearing world. And it's some wonderful lines. Uh, then he wrote a book called A Grief Observed. Um, and wrote is, is a strong statement. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually wrote his own like memoirs, his own like journal, and it was published right after his wife died of cancer. And so then you see the guy who wrote these theological things on pain then say things like, I keep knocking at the door, and I can hear God on the other side, and he's not opening it, and I don't know what to do. Um, phenomenal reads. I think that healthy reconstruction is done in community. I think that healthy reconstruction is done talking to people. Uh, and I think about Thomas. Church history tells us that Thomas died about 40 years later in India. And I can just imagine Thomas's stories when he's meeting with people and sharing the gospel. And I can just imagine the person who comes to him and says, hey, you talk about the living God and I just don't know that I can buy it because I haven't seen him. And Thomas goes, oh yeah, me, me too. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you my journey. And it's not a substitute for your journey, but let me tell you, I've been exactly where you are. And I kept meeting with them even when I struggled. Philip Yancey tells a story. He lives in Evergreen, Colorado. And he says there's a symphony, the high school symphony meets, and every year they play songs which are beautiful. They actually do a great job. But every three or four years, uh, the symphony director, he gets this like wild hair that he wants to try something crazy. And so he'll pull up like Mozart symphony number 38 that a high school band can never pull off. He said, and I'm sitting in my backyard listening to these kids just butcher this music in a way that is like irredeemable. And at first I would get angry. And, and then I realized there are people in Evergreen, Colorado who will never hear Mozart Symphony Number no. 38 except for from this band. And even though it's a little butchered, how beautiful is that? I don't know that the church is the only place to do good reconstruction. I do know it's the place that Jesus set up. And while it may feel like the institution that the church misses the mark sometime, for many people it's the best way to find out who Jesus is. And if we do it right, it's the best place for you to wrestle through your doubts, wrestle with your faith, and walk this journey. Let's pray. Hey, God, it's Jake. The journey of doubt. I think once upon a time it was scary and uh, there are times still that I have this pit in my stomach, but it's just exciting to see people in scripture who questioned, they fell, they didn't know, and you just kept walking with them. God, thanks for continuing to walk with us. God, I want to pray for anyone in this room or online who is on this journey God, ultimately, that you would put people in front of and behind them that they could do it with.
and they could know that there's no question off limits. God, I pray you'd surround them with a bunch of people who when they share their questions and their doubts, that person is able to respond with, yeah, me too. God, thanks for a place we can talk about this. In your name, amen.